Hey everyone, and welcome back to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm your host, Tom Morcus, and today I sit down with Michelle Moreno, who is a camera coach. She basically works with entrepreneurs, creatives, and anyone who wants to get on film. She helps them show up, present, and crush their video presentations. So this is applicable to anybody who wants to start live streaming, to anybody who wants to get on YouTube or Facebook Live, or do any other kind of video production. And what we specifically talk about in today's conversation, kind of my big takeaway, is effectively the 80-20 of video presentations. Like if you're interested in starting a YouTube channel, what are the 20% of things that are the most critical that will get you 80% of your results when it comes to presentation and being on camera? What I think is really great, and my big takeaway is that the 20% that creates the 80% of the results or 90% or you know 99% of the results even is all stuff that's under your control. It has nothing to do with the bells and whistles of production or post-editing, post-processing kind of stuff. It has nothing to do with big budget editing or anything like that. The critical pieces are the things that you do when you're on camera, how you show up, how you speak, how you look, how you engage. And we cover those topics in today's conversation. So I'll leave it at that because I think this is a really interesting conversation for anybody who's who wants to dive into the world of video production. But even if you don't, or you're not necessarily going that direction, but you, you are, we'll say, cognizant of wanting to show up well on camera, if you ever are you know, interviewed on camera or something like that, or in the off chance event that you would be on film or have to do something like that, it's like, this is also going to be a useful episode for you. So it's not just necessarily about creating like a YouTube channel. That's not the point of today's call. It's about what do you have to do to be like your best self, your most effective self on camera. So I'll leave it at that. And without further ado, let's go ahead and get to today's conversation. So Michelle, the way I want to kick this off is let's get behind the scenes of your life a little bit before we get to the stuff about on-camera presence and things like that, that I know will be helpful for our listeners. I want to know a little bit of your background, how you actually got into this space in the first place. Well, ever since I was a little girl, Tom, I dreamed of being an actress and the only people on TV with a hook nose like mine were Eric Estrada and the Wicked Witch of the West. But I, I did not give up. <laughs> And I was in all the school plays. And then I moved to Hollywood and I left a prestigious job writing for Tom Peters and Guy Kawasaki. And who, who, Tom Peters is pretty much retired, but Guy Kawasaki is still on the scene. So you can imagine my parents were in horror, like you're leaving like this great business writer job to be an actress. So I got on the game show Hollywood Squares and I got on the set and I thought, OK, this is cool. My first time on national TV, I got this. And then the red light on the camera went green. And I looked up at the panel of celebrities, Big Bird, Whoopi Goldberg was there, all sorts of celebrities. And they're looking down at me and I freaked out and I panicked. And it was as if my body was wrapped in cotton and I couldn't hear Tom Bergeron ask me the questions. And I failed so badly that when I got back into the dressing room, like the green room where all the rest of the contestants were waiting their turn, they literally parted like the Red Sea. They were like, there's the leper. We don't even want to get here near her. It, it was horrible. <laughs> and then that was it? You threw in the towel? For a year, I threw in the towel. I was I went into hiding. I was like, mm. okay. But then I saw my girlfriend, Sheba, who is at the time was uh, working for the State Department. She was my college roommate. And I saw her on television and I started crying. And I said, these people are living their dreams. That could, that could be me. She and I went to the same school. I can do this. So I went to acting school. I got on camera. I got coaches. I made videos until four years later, I went back on national television, but as an actress this time on Boston Legal in a scene with William Shatner. And so what happened after that? Did you, what, what was, so you, you got on, you did that show. What happened next? Uh, I went through the grueling life of an actress with a hook nose in Hollywood and uh, pretty much got rejected for more than like 200 commercial auditions. I did end up getting one. 
where I play a, a janitor who gets blinded on the job because acid falls in my face and I don't call 1-800 the lot too. <laughs> and I end up blind in a house coat. <laughs> Hollywood's a tough gig. And when I showed up, they were like, oh, she's kind of pretty. Okay, well, we'll fix it in makeup. Okay, so it was like horrible. But at the same time, I got a lot of jobs. I went to the Philippines as an actress. I got on two other national uh, hit TV shows. You've probably heard of The Shield with William Chickless. Remember that show? I got on there. I got on The Parenthood, NBC. I did indie films. I did industrial videos. I was became a working actress. And it was yeah, awesome. So, so you didn't get typecast as the janitor get, getting acid thrown into your eyes. Well, as a Latina, you go out for pretty much made, you know, although a couple of times I did get like social worker, the nurse, and a couple of times I got hired, like, you know, they saw me as like kind of a lawyer or a DA, but I, I never actually got on as a DA or a lawyer. Bummer. But maybe one day I will. Hey, it's it's not over yet. So it'll be interesting. Okay. So what brings you to what you're doing today? Like, what's that transition? Like you now started to kind of share your expertise, but I know you've been doing that for, for a couple a, of years. A, yeah. A couple of years. So tell me a little bit about that transition. Well, I wanted to basically as an actress, I was not making enough money. And my husband was like, Moreno, it's been 15 years. Got to bring home some bacon. He cooks the bacon. He brings the bacon. So I was like, oh, okay. So I started coaching and I am having so much fun because I'm really helping people with the acting secrets. Like, hey guys, do you know what emotional uh, promise your brand gives? What's the emotion you're promising your clients? Do you ever embody that when you talk about your solution? So things that have to do with acting, you can literally have teach people how to create an emotional connection on the camera for their business. Because if you don't have an emotional connection, the person watching is not going to take the next action with you. And that's how it is. Because we're used to seeing, uh, being emotionally moved when we watch the Kardashians and when we watch kittens. So your, your competition is not the other Susie Q expert in your space. It's kittens and the Kardashians. So where, so let's say, let's assume that the person listening is interested in doing and using video in some way, shape or form for their business. And presumably they're going to put their face on it. So it's not going to be just a screen share or something else. It's going to yes. be maybe them talking or teaching or explaining. So they want to get their face out there in, in video format. Mm -hmm. What, where do I even begin with that process? Like when you talk to somebody who's maybe just getting started, what's, what are the first things you guys talk about typically speaking to help them, I guess, get started on the right foot? Well, if they're afraid then I help them overcome their fear of the camera. I help them really pick one person that they can speak to who's on the other side or inside of that lens. I teach them how to make sure that they connect their eyes to that lens, just as they would in a natural conversation with a friend. So I also teach them just start out. If you have no idea what to talk about, then what are the top frequently most asked questions that you get? When people find out what you do, what do they ask you? What are the most universal problems? And start with those because that's going to hook in the highest number of strangers. Mm. And I have them start with those problems. And I say, just give a tip, give two or three tips, put some bullet points, tape them right up next to the lens as close as you possibly can. And then think about the needs and the pains of the person on the other side of the lens so that you take the focus off of yourself and ease your nerves and help them with whatever it is that you're going to say. Say it quickly, say it succinctly, start out by talking about like what it is that you're going to help them with so that you can hook them in or use another hook, like a provocative question, you know, like, 
hey, are you afraid that your beautiful daughter is going to turn into a wild teenager this spring break? <laughs> so then the dad is like, well, uh, uh. okay, so that'll hook them in to watch, right? So come up with a little hook at the beginning, give your content, give a call to action and say, thank you for listening. Just start there. What are your thoughts in that capacity? Do you, and there's two pieces of this, and I know yours is your your expertise is in the the, the presentation, we'll say, and how the people- performance. Maybe, the performance, yeah, okay. Now, but- and it kind of, so when I, I've been thinking about YouTube a lot, I've been thinking about video and using that more frequently and, and testing out YouTube as a marketing channel, using video more as a marketing and sales medium. Uh, I do use it in some capacity for webinars. I do uh, individual like one-to-one -one videos and things like that. And I've definitely taught in front of videos. So I'm not nervous, but I think in terms of like, if I go to the YouTube route and stuff like that and publish this stuff, how do I actually just, how can I be someone that is not just immediately ignored um, in terms <laughs> of like, so what do I need to have? What's that pizzazz I need to, to get right to make what I do engaging? That's, and I ask that with, I guess the back of my mind is also, and I also like, I, I'm wondering about my personality, like, okay, well, I'm maybe not the most uh, flamboyant or outgoing or exuberant. And I, then I wonder maybe I shouldn't be doing video at all. But I don't know, those are the, the questions and challenges I might have. And I think other other people listening and the conversations I have with people, they wonder that too. So how can they just make sure that when they get started, they start to do this, that there's some kind of personality behind it and that people would actually pay attention? Well, there's a couple things you can do. The first thing you have to remember is that you always have to create a valuable situation for the viewer. Something that is either meaningful or valuable, useful, relevant, takes them from, you know, A to B, helps them move forward toward a dream or get over a challenge. Now, you may if you, if you have the most dry personality on the planet, then you're going to have to double down on what your strength is. If you know, like, Michelle, I'm never going to be that person who's going to be like, you know, doing high fives to the camera and like, hey, everybody, if that's not you, then double down on what it is that you do offer. Let's say you're an expert at breaking down something into easy steps in two minutes or less. If you're so good at that and you have an audience that is so busy, like single moms with toddlers, and that's your audience, then you come up with two minute Tuesdays and you give them three steps that's going to save their lives in two minutes. If you know that about who you serve, or if you're somewhere in a mix like me, where I do have a bit of a personality and I can turn it on, but I also do really love providing steps in a succinct fashion because I can't stand it when people go on and on in their videos. And I'm like, will you just get to the point, please? So I have that as a viewer. And so take a look at what it is that you see that drives you nuts about the videos that you watch. Think about what it is that you bring to the table. And, and, and I'm still experimenting. So for example, YouTube, YouTube, people watch YouTube because they've done a Google search and they just want the how to answer as fast as possible. So whatever content that you create for YouTube has to answer a question that they would type into the search engine. But if you're doing Facebook lives, then you might have something that goes into more of an inspirational or hopeful message where you're talking about ideas that are more meaningful and inspirational. So or shows the slice of life of you or is more personal and it was more about failures or more about uh, topics, whereas you know, YouTube, really, you got to make sure that you put in your description and your tags, things that people are going to search on that engine. So there's for those two platforms, it's there's a different approach. But if I if you're wondering, like, what am I going to do? 
Start thinking about what you're good at. So, for example, Tom, what are you really good at? Oof. I mean, I think I'm good at a range of things. And uh, for in terms of what kind of videos you think you could be really yeah. good at. Well, uh, okay. So I don't know, but this is a good experiment. So let's let's roll with it. I, I think to myself, well, I have some experience across a broad range of marketing and sales. Uh, we'll say a broad range of experience in marketing and sales, like development, um, mm -hmm. developing new marketing channels, uh, turning traffic into leads, into subscribers, into, you know, into, into sales, that kind of stuff, product launches, affiliate marketing. What would be the most universal problem that the people, like the biggest challenge that you hook in the most number of strangers, like a problem that everybody's got that you yep. help with? The, the one, the, the most common typically, because that's just the broadest uh, group of people uh, is the person who's just getting started and is trying to get traction. So they're trying to get, they're trying to get seen. They're trying to get noticed. They're trying to get, you know, essentially traffic leads and hopefully maybe their first few sales. So it's like, how do I get seen? How do I get exposure? I think that's generally. How do that's I get that generally. traffic started? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the very first steps. So then you would just start there and get them to the next level. And then when you, when you're starting with the biggest problems that hook in the most number of strangers, then as it gets closer, the time comes where you've nurtured them for a while, it gets closer to the time where you're going to offer your product or solution. Then that's when you start talking about the most urgent problems, because those are the problems that people will pay money for. They're not going to pay you if they, their problem is like a level two on a scale from one to 10. But if your solution has to do with the urgent problem that's a site, like a number nine or 10 on the urgency scale, that's what your video content is going to start to reflect. And then your video content will also start to answer the objections to that, whatever their objections are to your service or product or your offer. And then you can make your offer. So that's, that's how you naturally would nurture somebody toward becoming mm. a client. And so, yeah, that's actually, I'm curious about that. Cause I think we were talking a little bit offline about this, maybe not entirely, but how do, how do you recommend using video to generate new clients because we talked a little bit about this in the context maybe of education so that's like definitely like lead gen i guess you could say it's a way to kind of get some broader exposure there's maybe a brand building aspect to this to some degree how do you go from that to an actual like getting a new client uh, and what's your what's your feedback or opinion on that well what i've found is that a lot of the people right now who become my clients are people who have seen my videos so I do not go on camera with as much frequency. I need to get more discipline. I'm actually not as good as I should be about going every week, but I do capture people's emails, obviously with some type of opt-in at the end of my videos, but not always. Sometimes I just put out content marketing videos and say, Hey, you know, PM me if you want to learn more or Hey, subscribe to my YouTube channel. So my, all of, not all of my calls to actions are opt-ins, but many of them are. So I usually try to create a lead magnet that has to do with the video. But if I don't, then I just give them my overall lead magnet, which is my free on-camera confidence training. But, you know, once I get their email, then I'm able to send them every week a piece of video content and nurture them that way. But I've found, and by the way, almost all of my clients have come from videos, either videos that they've seen or, or I end up giving some type of webinar and they've seen me around because, you know, we're all kind of in the same groups. But for them to become my client, it's usually I have gotten there to them somehow, either through by capturing their email with an opt-in or giving a webinar for a JV partner who that person is in their group and that JV has said, Hey, this woman is great. So there's usually that connection first before they become a client. I've never had anybody contact me and say, Hey, I want to hire you from just one video. <laughs> 
So you have yep. to do the law, slow burn of constant videos and content marketing, just strictly video content marketing as you would with any other type of content marketing, like blogs or what have you. But then you also have to do the ones where you ask them to opt in for a free gift. Do you find there's any difference in the types of clients that are, well, that's maybe not the exact question, but maybe the types of audiences you can reach through uh, via video versus say something like a podcast or blog. And I don't know how much experience you have in those other spaces. And I ask this because I'm thinking to myself, I've noticed when I, since I've been doing this podcast, it's a different group of people who listen to my podcast than who are on my newsletter, than who read my blog. And sometimes there's crossover, but I also find there's like some kind of trends in terms of like the types of people who are engaging via podcast versus, you know, a newsletter versus a blog. And so I would think YouTube or video might be a different one altogether. Do you get any sense of that? And what's your opinion on that? Like in terms of like, so I, so I should know if I should be going that route, like will I actually reach the type of audience I want to reach via video uh, would be, I guess, a question some people would have. Well, I would imagine no matter how you create your audience, the audience has come to you because of something about your energy and your viewpoint and your ideas. So whether that medium is through blog, podcast, or video really doesn't matter because your energy and your unique viewpoint is coming through. You know, that said, the reason it is so important for people to start doing video is that by 2020, 80% of online content will be video-based. And that is something that Cisco has pointed out time and again. And the facts of when they discovered this a year ago are bearing out in reality. So it's not that I mean, I don't know because I don't do blogs. I don't really do these other mediums. So I don't know the answer to that because I've always done videos and that's all I do. But I would imagine the only reason you need to make that transition now is that in two years from now, you won't have a choice. So why not get ahead of the competition? Yep. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I haven't made the move yet, but I do see somewhat of the writing on the wall. I don't think it'll mean that the end or the death of blogs and newsletters and stuff like that, they have their place. But I do agree that it's it's a compelling proposition to think about how to use video. And I think I love podcasts. Mm -hmm. And when you're driving or you don't you can't look, you know, you're exercising or whatever. They're awesome. And I love them. And I probably will love them forever and never, ever will they die. So it's not a question of if you want to get the most exposure and your full personality, warts and all, as out there as possible and people to know you like it's the next best thing to being there, then try out video. But if these other methods are working for you, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to fix when ain't broke. Right. I, I, yeah, I agree with that. So I'm going to go back to a question we had talked about a little bit earlier, but it was the types of content you can produce. And you said, say, just start with like those top five questions, which I think is a good place for somebody to move into that space. So w one of the things that I think I've grappled with uh, personally is because of the fact that I work across a broad range of say industries and there's certain aspects of what I do that are could be narrowed in on that some people are already trying to tackle and are very, you know, narrow focus on say just traffic, on lead gen, on sales. And kind of I do all that stuff when I work with clients. So the skill set is across the board. I'm just wondering how could I make myself the go-to expert in the space? Or what do I need to think about in terms of like niche, if you will, or focus, or how, how I should think about how I, I should narrow my focus to be somebody that could actually be, oh yeah, you need to go to Tom if you have this question about X, Y, or Z. How can I start to think about that and maybe make myself more, I don't know if one-dimensional is the word for it, but I think there's something to that, but I'm, I'm not quite sure how to articulate it, but basically be somebody that's more referable in the context of video. Well, I think that you have to think about who amongst your audience 
digests videos hmm. who, and, and pretty much it's everybody, anybody who's done a Google search probably has digested a YouTube video because it's just the way questions are being answered. But to build a, a tribe, which is tribal and primal marketing is what's happening right now because people are feeling isolated and they just want to belong. So when you start your YouTube channel or your quote unquote tribe, they're looking for a way to belong. And that's why people are niching it down so much. So imagine building a tribe. The tribe has to have something in common. So even myself, I am guilty wilty of not narrowing my focus enough. I'm saying people who are the face of their brand, who are online entrepreneurs. But within that, there are mompreneurs, there are dadpreneurs, there are urbanpreneurs. I mean, there's so many facets and whatever you do, that tribe that you want to attract needs to be able to talk amongst themselves about something common. So it would be smart for me even to niche it down to women, which I think I, I might end up doing at some point, really niching it down to like ladies only and making it really obvious in all my content. I might even niche down further to mompreneurs because I have an 11 year old. And now those mompreneurs can say, oh my God, yeah, it sucked, man. I was having to breastfeed and trying to talk to a client at the same time. Like now that audience has something they can talk about amongst themselves. And yes, you can create a tribe by, you know, doing a high five in the video or always starting out with the you're uh, having things that your tribe would do like, hey, everybody give a heart, double heart, double heart, heart, like, and everybody's like, hey, it's the double heart lady. Like you definitely want to create those types of tribal rituals. The rituals is what people want. They want to feel like they're belonging to something because they're so damn lonely. I get lonely. And so I want to belong to something. So ritualistic presentations where you come up with the, whatever the, Tom thing is that you do and you repeat it in every video. I end all my videos now with always be the true you on camera. No matter what happens, I say that at the end, you know, and I always do when I interview people clink ka-ching with the confidence cocktail, although I might have to make it coffee because now I'm doing it at 9 a.m. But <laughs> you get the point. You get the point. Create rituals and focus in on a tribe that can talk amongst themselves because they already are bonded, whether that's, you know, people who uh, want to, you know, resist Trump or people who want to uh, breastfeed their babies until their babies are three. Like all those people are going to be bonded <laughs> because everybody thinks they're cray cray, but that could be your niche. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not saying your niche because, well, you probably don't know that much about breastfeeding. Sure. No, not uh, experientially at least. <laughs> all right. So here, here's one of my, I think maybe one of my almost my, one of my last questions. I might have another one after this, but so any tips you could give to somebody who's going to be presenting? I don't know if there's any stuff that's different about like in-person versus video, but let's, since we're talking about video, let's just talk, talk about video, but in, any presentation tips that you recommend when it comes to doing this stuff? And I would say, I guess specifically my question is about things maybe I should avoid or things that I definitely have to do, like these kind of broad-based ones that maybe people come to you and you see this problem again and again. It's like, okay, well, you know, here's step one. It's like, look at the camera, you know, something like that. If there's other, other things besides that, that you think are like fundamental. So fundamental tips we can give somebody who's going to start doing more video um, and do more presentations. Okay. Step one, you must always locate the lens so that you can connect your eyes to it. If you think you're looking at the lens and you're actually looking in, at a different lens, some cameras have tiny little lenses. Your smartphone sometimes have two or three lenses. You have to locate which one is actually recording you and connect your eyes to it as you would in a natural conversation. I've seen many videos where people are looking at themselves and their own image 
in the selfie video mode, don't watch yourself. Connect your eyes to the lens because that will detach. It will, you'll feel you'll seem very distant from your viewer unless you're looking at them. Another mistake I see a lot is that people's faces are not well lit, so they look terrible. You must get decent lighting on your face. That is the fundamental number one. The most flattering type of light is natural light. So walk around until you are standing in front of a window and during the day, if you don't have any lights, if you don't own any lights, <laughs> shoot during the day with natural light coming at you. So stand in front of a window. And the third mistake I see is that if you're just going to be talking and you're in the same place, get your hand, get your hands free and get that camera, whether if it's your smartphone or your camera into a tripod, into a holder, put it on a stack of books, whatever it is that you have to do. So it's not shaking. It's okay. If you're on a boat or if you're walking around to hold it, because it's interesting to see action happening behind you. It makes it a more interesting video than if you were just sitting there talking. But if you're just going to be in one place, get that phone or camera into a holder so it's not shaking all over the place. And finally, make sure that your face is relatively large in the frame. And the, one of the biggest mistakes that I see is people have a ton of room from the top of their head to the top of the frame. So they're only like in the bottom half of the video, the lower half of the grid. And you don't want that. You want to be taking up almost the entire height of that video so that you only have just a tiny bit of space between the top of your head and the top of the video frame. Those are some of the biggest mistakes I see. And yeah, and, and also, you know, just drop into your body, breathe, put your shoulders back so that you can get the nerves out of the way and really imagine that one person is dying for the information. Just trick, trick yourself <laughs> into thinking, oh, the person on the other side, they really need my help. They're going to die if they don't get this help. That way you can take the focus off of yourself and your nerves. Yeah. So my question on this one is, I think there's a natural outgrowth of those tips, which I think are fantastic is. So I go get all that stuff right, which takes some time, takes some effort. But then the next thing is recording, answering the question. So one of the things that I think has stopped me from doing video is the idea of, well, I don't, I don't want to be the guy that's just rambling for a while. Right. So I know that. And then there's this idea of, okay, well, can I just wing it and talk, which is how I'd prefer to do it. But then if I do that, then I might end up rambling. So I will need some editing. So then I need to think about an editor. So what's, what's your idea on that? Like, do you recommend if somebody wants to do, do you recommend somebody that you script it or that you just do it off the cuff and then hire an editor or a combination of both? What's, well, I guess, what's your opinion on in terms of like taking what you have and making it, we'll say publishing ready. I think if you are the type of person who loves to script things out and there's, you're terrified of talking on the fly, then go ahead and script it out, write it out and put it onto a teleprompter app. There's free up to $20 for like, uh, there's one that's uh, called Prompt Smart, which actually is using voice recognition technology will scroll as you speak. So you don't even have to worry about setting the speed on it. Put your script into that and put it, get it as close as you can to the lens or get yourself a teleprompter for 159 bucks. There's a hardware called Caddy Buddy that will actually allow you to scroll that over the camera lens. There's also another app called uh, Teleprompter Pro, something like that, where it'll put the script as close as it can, as it can to the lens on your mm. iPad. I have to get that last one. Remind me to, to give you yeah, that we'll last one. Yeah, make sure we put that in the show notes for anybody listening. Um, just go to tomworkers.com slash podcast, and we'll have that for sure. So script it out if you just are too terrified to speak on the fly. However, it is easier and faster 
to get started. If you speak about only what you are an expert, that way, all you have to do is put three to five bullet points on a card and tape it as close as you can to the lens and just speak on the fly about each bullet point. So in my opinion, that's the best way to start. That's how I started. I'm now getting to the point where I'm starting to prefer scripting it out only because it, it makes everything go faster in terms of YouTube and and the whole process might end up being a little bit faster. I'm starting to experiment now with scripting, but I never did it in the beginning. And if you go Facebook Live, you cannot script it out because Facebook Live is meant to be impromptu. It's meant to be from the heart and it is meant to be gritty, raw and real. So you never, ever want to script a Facebook Live because you really want to do more of a riff in that medium. That's what it's meant to be, your true life, slice of life in the moment. I love it. Well, Michelle, I really appreciate this. Some great wisdom I'm excited to share with my audience, and I'm going to be taking some of this to heart and applying it myself. Where can people reach out to find you, connect with you, and maybe uh, learn more about what you do and check out some more of your advice on this topic? Oh, yeah. You can get my free on-camera confidence training at michellemoreno.co, and that's M-I-C-H-E-L-E-M-O-R-E-N-O dot C-O. I love it. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches. Thank you, Tom. Are you trying to grow your online business, but struggling to get new customers consistently and predictably? Are you tired of working nonstop only to see your income plateau? Are you ready to step off the hustle hamster wheel, as I call it, and step onto a path of predictable profit that you can scale as much or as little as you want? Don't worry, you're not alone. I've been there. When I first got started, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So I started reading blogs and listening to podcasts by people I respected and wanted to learn from. I slowly but surely put their recommendations into practice. But because I wanted to do it all myself, maybe you, you're you something like that, right? And you love to do, do it by yourself, learn through trial and error. Well, bottom line is it took forever. Results were unpredictable when I was first getting started. I wasn't sure where to spend my time, money, and energy. And shiny penny syndrome got the best of me on more than one occasion. For many entrepreneurs, the amount I sacrificed working literally nonstop in some cases in my spare time, and 12 and 14-hour days routinely after going full-time, combined with the endless fog of war, aka that uncertainty that I had to deal with at all times because I was going it alone, I think that would have been enough for most entrepreneurs to throw in the towel. But I was persistent, focused, and I stayed humble. Day after day, I worked to grow the traffic to my website, increase my list of subscribers, and generate a healthy living for my ebooks, e-courses, and other digital products. At least that was the goal. But maybe more important than the work was that I paid attention to what I was doing, including what worked and what didn't. Eventually, I discovered a predictable pattern of growth. And so what I did was I just doubled down on those things, and I scrapped or sidelined the other things that weren't working so well. Finally, two years after resigning my commission as a captain in the army and going full-time on my online business front with my blog, with my podcast, et cetera, I replaced my income with digital product income. Two years. And so if that's where it stopped, I would have been happy with it. I would have been happy with the results. I wouldn't have complained. I would have been very content just replacing my income. But the bottom line is it was so much work. I wanted to you know, see if it could go somewhere else, right? So I just kept doing what I was doing, but better, faster, and more effectively. Again, just kind of applying the same system that I discovered uh, from seeing these patterns emerge, right? So I implemented it, I kept doing it. And eventually replacing my income turned into doubling my income. And then that turned into a little bit more and a little bit more. But not just that, it afforded me the freedom to dictate my day 
and also choose the projects I want to work on, on the schedule and on the timeline I want, and to work with the people I want to work with. And to me, that's like a whole new level of freedom, especially coming from the military. It's something I've never really had that level of complete autonomy until I became my own boss. I started my own business. And until ultimately, until it became profitable enough for me to start to take a step back and actually reap the rewards of it, because it's not all just working, working, working. And I do believe it's hard work. And I'll always say that nothing about doing this stuff is easy. But at the same time, you've got to reap the rewards at some point and take some of that profit, uh, even if you're just reinvesting it into new assets and things like that. Bottom line is, it can't just be work, right? Entrepreneurship and business is about that result that occurs, the value you've created and the profit, that, that piece of value that you've captured, okay? And you want to be able to reap the rewards of that profit, of that value, that little sliver of value that you get to capture, that you get to net, right? You want to be able to take advantage of that. Otherwise, you know, the entrepreneurship game really does become just a grind. And, and for, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, unfortunately, it becomes meaningless and that's when they quit. Well, for me, I love this stuff. I really, truly do. I mean, it is my thing. And so that's why I didn't just stop where I was at. I've stayed committed to learning everything I can about all aspects of this online business world and this online marketing world. And I do this through real world application. In other words, I'm currently growing several online businesses and I'm always putting my ideas to the test in real time with my own money, with my own time and energy, oftentimes with employees, you know, a lot of some, some stuff more advanced, some stuff more simple, but, you know, so varying levels of complexity and again, in different spaces, different niches. And I can say, you know, bottom line, I've always loved the startup hustle, but I got to say, it's nice to now be in a position where I can get big results with much less effort. Thanks to having built the foundation of my business the right way. And again, I did it all through trial and error, but I don't think that that's the way that everyone needs to do it. And in fact, looking back on it, if I had to redo it, I don't know if I would. It was so difficult to just go it alone and try to figure everything out by myself. So one of the things I've tried to do is give back with this podcast, with my blog, and with my newsletter. But maybe even more rewarding than any of this stuff, while I've enjoyed all of it, I think the thing that I'm enjoying the most, that I find most engaging and rewarding is the premium business mastermind and coaching program I run called 100K Academy. Inside 100K Academy, I help ambitious entrepreneurs who are very driven and excited to be doing what they're doing. I help them grow their reach, their influence, and their profit using my proprietary marketing system. That's the same one I use to scale my own online businesses from zero to multiple six figures and beyond, and the same system I use to help my clients reach the New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestseller list, set Kickstarter funding records, and create viral product launches that have turned into predictable revenue streams. So lots and lots of case studies that you could find at tommorcus.com. If you're curious, just go to tommorcus.com slash about, and that'll get you started. Most importantly, this system is one that 100K Academy members and alumni have used to achieve tremendous results, like Alexa, who used it to have her most profitable year ever, or Tina, who used it to make five figures from a sales funnel that she can now replicate and scale, and that's exactly what she's doing. Or Carrie, who made over $75,000 in just seven days. And the crazy part about his story was that his online business was actually a side hustle up until that first profitable launch, which he has then been able to grow and scale. And he subsequently quit his job following that very successful week. And I think that that has been just a game changer for Carrie and the life he's living, the work he gets to do, and the impact he gets to make on the world because of the great work he's doing now, because he was able to figure out a system that would get him the targeted traffic, the subscribers, the sales to grow a profitable online business. 
Bottom line, if you want to grow your online business from six to seven figures, but you flatlined or you're struggling, or you just want to be told what to do and when to do it and in what order, right? And you want a system that is predictable and scalable and isn't just you know another shiny penny, but actually will fit right into your business. It plugs in and is something that you can truly grow. I want you to go to tommorcus.com slash academy. That's tommorcus.com slash academy. Academy is spelled A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. Go to tommorcus.com slash academy, and you'll find a page on my website with more details about 100K Academy, the business mastermind coaching program I run, as well as instructions on what to do next. Again, that's tommorcus.com slash academy. And if you're serious about growing your reach, influence, and profit, just follow the instructions and we'll be in touch, okay? Again, tommorcus.com slash academy. Go ahead and head over there now. That's it for today. Stay frosty.